Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now... So welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast and video if you're watching on YouTube today or some other platform. Uh, we have been covering this topic, again, and it's part of what we do for this whole idea of compassionate capitalism, and that is creating wealth through being a successful entrepreneur, but also by being the investors in those successful entrepreneurs. And so what are some of the fundamentals that you need to know in order to truly achieve the success that is the potential of a entrepreneur, the vision of that founder, that startup and where they're going to go and why the investors are even investing in them. It's because of the potential of what they can do. And that all comes down to sales, right? So we've covered this topic of sales here in the last couple of weeks on a couple of different fronts, building a sales team, the philosophy of selling, integrating the sales model into the corporate culture. Today, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about the transition from founder-led sales to an unimpeded sales growth through an outsourced sales model. Now, when businesses first started outsourcing customer service, inbound sales management, customer support, and application development, it was kind of a novel idea and was met with some resistance. But now, it is more unusual to have any of those corporate functions in-house than it is to have it in an outsourced environment. It just happens to be the way business gets done today because of some benefits that we're going to actually talk about today when it comes to using that model for sales. And so I want to introduce you to my guest today, David Ledgewood. He goes by Ledge. Hi, say hello. Nice to be here, Karen. Thank you. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little bit more about him and then we'll get started. So he is pioneering the art and science. I call it the art and science because it's a data-driven model, but there's an art and finesse to the idea of managing your sales through this outsourced model behind the outsourcing of sales. So uh, let's see, we'll help let you understand why he is an expert and why I'm excited to have him on my show today. So before starting his company, Ad10, okay, Ad10 is a very clever name. Uh, it's a team of senior sales experts that provide from lead to close execution for B2B services and tech companies striving to reach seven digits in revenue. That's that out of zero. David's 20-year business career began in professional services with PricewaterhouseCoopers, working with Fortune 500 companies such as UPS, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Aetna. And since then, he has, he has experienced the ups and downs of several startups, honing his skills at helping tech companies connect with customer needs and wants to close those sales in a seven-figure runway. Along the way, David has also hosted a successful tech podcast. So officially, welcome to the show, Ledge. Thank you, Karen. It's fun to be here. I, I, I love that intro, by the way. I don't know if I get a copy of that, but well done. I'm going to use that somewhere. So I don't know. <laughs> like your sure. copyright. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's like pick and pull from uh, highlights, you know? You made so, me sound brilliant. Uh, well, that's all. Well, because when I have brilliant guests on, then I get to become half brilliant on the side. Just, so. It's a mutual admiration society, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. So. So for our listeners, connect the dots. When did the light bulb go off from being a part of developing the software to meet a need to delivering a solution and selling to the need of a customer from as an employee or a managing partner in an entity to actually building your own company to do just that? Yeah, full journey, right? So I, I loved writing software. I mean, I, I still think to this day that I would enjoy being a coder. I mean, I just, I loved it. I would do it all the time. I still find ways to, you know, code like little JavaScript things and stuff because it's just fun. And the creative process there, I found cathartic. And I, I think I just scaled that out to then say, well, when you're building processes and you're building operations and thinking about business that way, it really is complex systems and algorithms and it's just human stuff you know so then i started thinking about well how does all that go together and i became interested in, in the psychology and sociology and org science of of how 
company stuff works together. Because we have this idea, right, that we it comes out of maybe the MBA playbook or something that all these things are separate. You know, we should only talk about sales and then only talk about marketing and and operate. They're siloed, right? They're separate. Or technology is totally different than and okay, you know, I think that's a useful construct to think about it, but they're all one thing, right? I mean, it's like literally we're talking about business. And even before that, we're talking about people working together to build stuff. And it's too easy for us to model this out and just separate the things. Um, so I had to work in every function one way or another across a bunch of different companies because I just was obsessed with this idea that I had to, I wanted to start companies. I wanted to build things. And that was a little weird, you know, in, in 99 and 2000, they didn't train you to, there was no entrepreneur class. There were no accelerators, like <laughs> yeah. barely internet, you know, I mean, we're like dial up. Um, so I just, I, I had to do it right. You know, it, there wasn't a way not to try to have to figure out like, well, I don't know how do you do that. And I, so, so I started with some nonprofit work. That was a really good way to do it. Um, where I, you know, learn how to kind of build a nonprofit business on the side and, started doing my own startups in earnest gosh about uh, i guess 13 years ago and um i had to i mean i went out of the gate and i had to i hired people and i was so convinced that you had to have everybody on payroll and i mean i don't know what i was thinking now looking back because like i you know I, then i was like wow geez you need revenue to pay all these people you just can't be keep burning up money in the bank um which you know now sounds kind of silly but I wish I could go back and smack myself around a little bit. It's uh, uh, not uncommon. I mean, you do you see it all the time with tech companies that we're going to be talking about here. It's like that's that's the reason why you're in the business that you're in. It is. It is. So, uh, you know, once I had to learn how to sell because I had to pay all these people that I hired, you know, I have eight different people delivering stuff and nobody's selling anything. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, I got to figure that out. So I, I learned a little bit about about that and kept it afloat as long as I, I could. We, we bottomed out in the, the 2009 uh, recession timeframe that, you know, so uh, that's a, a piece of a financial puzzle, right? Is learning about cash flow management. And um, I'm grateful now having, I wasn't grateful at the time, but I'm grateful having gone through that. Now looking at, at the current environment of how to do, you know, cash flow under, under pressure of, you know, pandemic and such. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I really just got this idea of like, well, I, I don't know, I need to build what's sales, how, how do you do sales and, you know, start reading all the books. And, and then I, I really thought about sales is a, an operating function. You know, it just, there's a bunch of systems and processes and, and now people call this rev ops, but they didn't, there wasn't a word or a, a phrase for that before. And I just looked at it and well, you could systematize a whole bunch of this it's interesting to be the person, you know, in front of the curtain, right. And, or the, the performer, like, so I, I turned out to be good at just being a closer, being a, a people person that could have these conversations. Um, but I likened it to a Broadway performer, right. If somebody's on stage, they're in a, a spotlight, they're the star. Uh, what all is going around that? And like, yes, it's important that that's a good performer and that they can sing and they can do their lines and you know, like they know their piece. But what about the theater and the audience and the lighting and the, you know, script writers and like the just all the supporting stuff, scenery, stagehands. I mean, there's like ten times as much stuff back there running all that as there is in that performance. And that always I like that metaphor because. You know, people think that this is sales because you can see me and you can talk to me. That's like 10% of the work. The rest of it is, is the operation that makes that scale. And so that's, that's where this company came from. It's like, let's build a thing where you don't need to have the quarter million dollar, you know, Rolodex wielding network based selling machine guy gal who can come in and just let's you know let's make big deal I, was like, I don't think you need to do that i think you need to optimize selling time on the phone for the people to, don't make a closer do anything else because the secret is that we suck at that you know like I, I don't make documents well and track things well and you know keep all the operations running there's a lot of operations people that that do that we know how to make deals and close stuff and talk to people and the rest like get it out and so we built infrastructure and figured out how to scale that 
And it turns out that that's a lot better way to do sales than dropping tons of money on um, closers, you know, or VP of sales when, when you're a, a six digit startup, you have 500 grand coming in. That's a pretty good thing. You got it off the ground. Founders did that work, but um, that is not the time to blow half your revenue on, on somebody on your payroll. And, you know, senior VPs of sales are expensive. So I just looked at what's the space between that $500,000 a year startup and $5 million a year where, yeah, it makes sense. Go hire people if you want to. And that was add one zero. Yeah. So did you spend a minute or a minute, but you know, relatively speaking, did you spend when you were first, idea, yeah, when you were first identifying that there was a, a need and this opportunity in the, in the space because you had gone through it yourself, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You'd seen other, cause you'd been with other startups, you'd seen them go through it. Was there a point where you were like, oh, we'll just be a consultant to teach them how to, you know, do effective sales management without having a, a big hierarchy? Or did you just realize, let's just go straight for the system because I'm just gonna go from the start saying, try outsourcing. Tactical money was my goal. I don't, I, I have done a lot of consulting, you know, pay for talk. And I, in this particular case, look, nothing against sales consultants and coaches and the, you know, but if you want to spend money to get trained in a thing and learn how to do a thing yourself, like that's a really good reason to get a, a coach or a consultant. And uh, I wanted to not be that. We end up having to do that sometimes, but I, I said like, no, no, literally, I want to get into companies and close actual money. I want to make deals. I want to make revenue for the client. And I don't know why that's weird or different. You know, I just, I know I don't want to get paid for advice. I want to make you actual money. I want, I want cash like I, for you. And we'll take a little slice of that. You know, I mean, that, that was the thing that just made sense to me as a founder. I don't think a lot of founders want to be coached or consulted on how to sell. They want to be CEOs. They want to be founders. They don't always resonate with that seat. And if you're a sales-based founder and you can make all the money and close everything and get in that seat and you just want to be that sales-based CEO, awesome. But you can't do all the things. So if right. you do that, you got to hire a really strong president, COO, someone who executes. You cannot be the executor and run the sales at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's too much work. So it, it comes down to, try to know yourself right and just kind of go what do i really want to do when i when i grow up like in the if i want to be the integrator and the executor and run this company you simply cannot sit in the full-time sales seat and um, that's what we do and we're happy to do it we, yeah. we like doing it we like building revenue functions right so there's a you know there's this challenge that sometimes um founders, particularly if they're the person that identify the need, develop the app or hired the people because that's how you outsource, you know, that, but they, they, they're, they, a founder led sales effort. And then they get to a point where this decision that you just sort of identified this crossroads, do I continue to be the head of the sales and feel like I lose control over the operational Everybody side else. and the direction of the side that I, cause I'm going to be the CEO, right. Mm -hmm. Um, versus, Oh, do I lose control of the sales process? Because I don't know, I don't believe anybody else can sell as good as me. So that, I mean, that's a real issue that a lot of startups go through well, and, yeah, and investors looking at startups are dealing with it. So when you get, you know, identify a company or they reach out to you. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, that process here. What, what, how is sales execution different at a startup, say, versus somebody that has um, a company that's been around for a little bit? They might already have the seven figures in sales, but they're stuck. They've sort of plateaued. They might have done a little bit. And, and, and kind of within the context of saying that, you know, when somebody is a new sales organization, they're new, they're, they, you know, assuming they've got funding to, to figure this stuff out, but they don't always know what they don't know on the sales cycle, the obstacles to close, you know, those kind of things. Whereas large companies will have these traditions, don't fix what ain't broke, middle blocks. And so they're, they're in, 
there's still you're selling the 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 common benefit to a, a business model that outsources sales but how do you break that log jam and how do you convey that there's a better way a better outcome if they try something different than what they're doing right now yeah well i challenge your assumptions right like whoever said that at 500 grand in sales for again now we work we it's niche right because we work in services b2b services and technology companies so some of what i'm saying may not even apply to your your company if you're the listener right but let's let's say in that niche like that b2b services and and tech companies kind of behave in a, a certain way like who who trained us what what valid group of knowledge did it come from that you ought to have a VP of sales at 500 grand of sales? Show me where I didn't say that, you know, you just think that in startup land, I don't know, like I can't do it anymore. So I need to hire a sales person uh, in the same way, probably that you used to think I, I hire a CTO, I got to hire a CIO or a maybe a CFO. And, and I just looked at that system. I kind of thought like, well, you can interim all these things and you can buy them fractionally. Why can't you do that for senior sales leadership? And so that's what ends up happening when we work with, with a client. You can call on me and my partner, Megan, anytime you want. And we will sit with you and do the strategic things, but that's like a tiny amount of work quarterly, you know, like the blocking and tackling of sales. You don't hire that strategic, really expensive person to do standard blocking and tackling you should have a body of people that are basically your revenue team and you might work on some marketing but broadly speaking you've got sales and sales ops and if you just want to get it done and you just want to like close deals and run the conveyor belt and turn things through the funnel and get meetings done and book demos and turn them into contracts that's a very normal process of stuff none of which you would pay high dollar executive salaries for you just don't know any better. Um, so, so that's one thing. And just do you get to that point and you kind of say, I don't know where I learned that this is the right time to hire a bunch of expense or a expensive person. But in fact, it's not, it's not a good time at all to do that. Um, the next leap would then say, okay, now this thing that I'm talking about is very specifically designed for the leap from six to seven. Do the same principles apply at that next leap? Say if I'm plateaued around my 2 million, 5 million kind oh. of mark. Absolutely. Like there's okay. a lot of fundamental rules of physics in there that sure we can do this thing. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't lay out exactly the same way that you, you have figured out and institutionalized calcified even some, some bad or good behaviors, right? At that point that, it's going to be harder to unwind that. I happen to like very early stage because you can't have to screwed it up that much <laughs> yet by that point. I like a founder-led sales operation into that 300 to 600 kind of range. Why? Because you validated the idea already. This is not a go-to-market problem. Like you've proven I can make six digits of, of revenue based on this thing. You just don't know how to scale and build a revenue operation on top of that. Cool. Cause that's exactly what we do. Uh, I don't want to start from zero. I did it enough. You know, so it's not add a zero, like at all it's add one and it's the one between six and seven. And you know, it, it took me a while to niche around that too. Like, Oh sure. I could do this for enterprise. I could do this for middle market. I could do it for small. Like we just chose one. Um, okay. You know, strategically speaking, is a bunch of what we're talking about going to be the same thing that you would do to scale properly inside, um, you know, an operation with six reps and, you know, 15, 20 million dollars revenue? Absolutely. Um, that's not our particular focus, yeah. but, you know, I like talking about sales stuff no matter what. So <laughs> I'll do it, but I, it's not our thing. So. so let's talk a little bit about sort of the process. So is, Having an outsourced sales team much different than running a remote sales team where you have a manager in-house and they interact with you and your team? Or do you become that interim manager or somebody on your staff becomes the interim manager that acts like they're part of the company team, even though they're maybe paid by you? Everybody that, that we work with acts like they're part of the company team. So in okay. fact, you wouldn't even know the difference. And we actually call it like true white label. So 
their LinkedIn looks like you, their email is you, everything they do, like you would never even know that they don't work for you. So it's almost like you ever see like those uh, BPO type of operations where it, I mean, it's like you bought an entire operation to work inside you and they just work for somebody else. You know, it's, it's almost like that, right? So sure, we manage it. We're going to deal with all the, the stuff. We take care of everything. But I mean, they're like embedded with you. And I think you have to do that for sales because you're right. You need to know product. You need to know culture. You need to have yeah. the connections with the delivery team and the customer success team and the marketing team. I mean, it's just impossible to pull it apart. So when we say outsourced, that's because a different entity is being paid for that division. But are they really part of your thing? Like super embedded in your, your company? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It has to be. Um, and I really think that's the way that it ought to be for any professional that you hire. And if we've learned anything, the way that you pay someone or which entity you pay them from, does it really matter? We used to have this idea that if it wasn't a W2 employee, they weren't going to be committed. Now we have freelancers, we have contract employees. Um, and they get the job done, right? So like, why would a consultant or an outsourcer like us not get the job done? Um, we're all having to learn super flexibility. I mean, it's funny now, even as late as November, 2019, we were having conversations where you could never sell our thing on Zoom, you know? <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, you know, now whose phone is, is ringing? And, and I don't say that in a flippant way, but you know, it's just like, hey, we kind of all need to just toss some of the old playbook because that's not going to work anymore. And it, now if somebody said, well, you can't sell my thing on Zoom, well, you're toast. You know? like, so you better plan it that way. So is it the same as running a remote team? Yeah, distributed team, absolutely. And we're all distributed teams now. Uh, so I'm not going to say I planned ahead well you know, ahead of that. We were, <laughs> we were as shocked as anybody else but we had just made the choice that we were going to run distributed sales teams and let's figure it out. And, and we did. And now, now it's under a lot higher demand. So there are some silver linings, I guess. <laughs> so some of the key benefits, it would seem to me that you, that, you know, if you're thinking about the traditional, you got to set up a CRM, you got to set up a lead generation system. You got to set up a, um, you know, the closing system, whatever, all of those different things that businesses have to go in. And a lot of times they'll outsource a component of it. What you're offering is a complete turnkey and you spend the time to understand instead of them having to teach you the culture, like they have to teach and create sales manuals to teach you whatever churn of a new, of a, of a sales team might be right. And the proper compensation is a compensation mapping to what the goals and the revenues of the organization are versus, you know, some, an ego of a manager, you know, things like that, that ends up sometimes impeding sales compensation system. You guys bring in economies of scale to that, a whole approach because you have a centralized back office that all your different sales where one group might be selling a cloud-based solution Mm -hmm. Another group might be, you know, selling some kind of hiring tool or something, you know what I mean? Whatever they might be or an yeah. accounting tool or professional service. Yeah. Anything professional like that. services yeah. or outsourced uh, um, hosting or something. Right. See, so all of those different things, you guys. Uh, and then in, and so that's really where you have taken that off the plate of the CEOs and the founders when it comes to figuring out how they're going to sell this stuff. You, you don't have to know that. I mean, look, everybody has the, you know, some version of your thing is unique ish, right? It has to be, or at least sure. There's some stuff we need to learn, but like a lot of the revenue operation piece is repeatable. Like there are things that we know we should do if you're an appointment driven sales based operation, you know, that certain places it doesn't fit. If this is a self-serve tool that you have and you get people to go to a site and click the button and put their credit card in, like there is no reason to talk to us. But what if you have that third column or fourth column where it says, talk to sales, custom enterprise, we'll make a deal for you. Um, hey, do you want us to implement it? you know, all those things, right? That's where this, this kind of service comes in. So it's gotta be a human heavy service related uh, professional thing. There's, there's a lot of places that we 
we don't fit and and that's yeah that's fine but yeah it's it's i don't want to say it's it's templatized it's more like we know the process to quickly in like 45 days get up and running selling your stuff as long as we can fill the calendar together to get those appointments if we can't do that then let's bring in lead gen for outbound and inbound types of services because we need appointments and if there aren't appointments something else is wrong or okay. if you've already got appointments and you can't close them there's one of two things wrong your offer is wrong or you don't sell a thing that anybody wants <laughs> we might help you out with that too like stop burning money because um you know we have to be high integrity with that it's just like i don't i don't care how many meetings you get me like nobody wants to pay for this and and that happens sometimes too you know i feel bad when it happens but uh, we'll help you try to reposition if we need to we'll help you um you know package it properly so much of it is, is packaging issues you know like we'll put this together with this and here's the actual value of the thing uh, that you sell. So yeah. it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just pattern recognition. You know, like if you do what we do enough times over the course of years and years and years and years, you recognize which road not to run down. It's not like yeah. we're brilliant or we designed the better mousetrap. We just broke it more times than you. You know, yeah. So. <laughs> well, you said something when we were preparing for this, uh, for our interview here today, that no founder has woken up in the middle of the night sweating, saying, I don't need more sales. Yeah, I just don't. I fundamentally believe <laughs> like that. That is my my theory. I, it might be like gravity. You can't prove it. But I don't think the founders ever wake up like three o'clock in the morning, looking at the ceiling and think anything except I want more revenue. Yeah. Like ever. It's just sales. That's it. And yeah. it's not selling. It's it's revenue. Like yeah. all you care about is top line. Like for the most part, right? It's your fundamental, it's oxygen and water. You can make all kinds of other stuff. You can think about all kinds of other things. But I mean, really, like, do you ever wake up at least at that stage of the world and go, you know, I'm having an existential crisis about my <laughs> company culture. And I really hope that we could, you know, improve I don't know, you know, make a bigger difference in the world. Like, no, that doesn't happen like at three o'clock in the morning. That's a luxury that you now have enough money. You raised enough or you sold enough. And really it should be sell enough because you can't raise forever. Um, that you get to sit around at a whiteboard during the day and have a clear head at night, you know? So yeah, a lot of us get it backwards, you know? Right. Just, it's all about more revenue. Well, and... <clears throat> Revenue is always the greatest source of capital to grow, right? So it ought to be. It's certainly the, the lowest cost of capital. Well, and you think people approach this, you know, when you think about the lean startup model, when you think about growth hacking, when you think about all these, you know, popular tr phrases, mm. they all are around identifying who your ideal customer is that not just wants, but needs what it is that you're selling for the price that you're selling it for and you know we'll buy it right and and how do you figure that out an iterative process till you perfect it where they can't help but say yes and a lot of times that kind of leads into how when you're outsourcing sales and we talked about this at the very beginning when you say it's an integral part of this operational it's a piece of the of the body of the company but also when you're refining what is it like if it's a product that they don't want or when you're coming up with what are the new feature function benefits that our customers want, you know, what's the thing, how do we reduce the price to meet this price point that they feel that it's worth or we're having to discount it all the time to get to this, to compete. How does that get communicated back within the other parts of the organization so that they can respond to the insight that sales is identifying? I mean, think about that lean startup stuff. What are you supposed to do, right? Like early on, like Steve Blank's model, you're supposed to do customer discovery interviews. That's what I'm saying that we should do. Let's spend some money to get people in appointments so we can ask them a bunch of questions and find out what they really want. We just call those sales calls. <laughs> At the end of our customer discovery interview, people might actually buy things. Like that's good. You know, like that's what we want to happen, right? And if they aren't buying things, then you have your answer there. Like now let's try to offer them something else. So, uh, you know, uh, I will not take credit for this, but a good friend of mine, you know, in the marketing 
internet marketing space, by the way, like people crap on internet marketers and they think like, oh, those guys are shady and those big long form sales letters and forms to fill out and all that <laughs> stuff. They're crushing it, friends. Like they make a lot more money than a lot of us do. And what they will teach you is direct response marketing. You need, you need leads and you need offers. Bring me people and let's make things to try to sell them. Some offers resonate and some don't. And we get so obsessed with this revenue model, business model, whatever, like just repackage your stuff, try it a different way, tell the story a different way, sell something to them, offer and keep offering. And eventually something will click if, if there's ever going to be a thing to click. And again, like a lot of these stuff that shouldn't become businesses becomes business every day. And you know, I, I have invented many things that should not have existed because no one will ever pay for that. <laughs> It's true, you know, and, and it's, it's, I feel bad for that. You know, I'm sorry that I, yeah. you know, I'm sorry I broke things. Um, <laughs> but that's what we do, right? If you get us on the phone, we're going to record every call. We're going to put that into CRM. We have the systems to break those calls down into every single objection, what exactly was asked. Then we catalog those objections. Nice. Then we turn those into a database and we can tell you every single thing that people want to know, why they're buying, why they're not buying. And we're doing that in the context of a revenue system where we are trying to drive them to a sale. This isn't just a research study. Now imagine you know every question that somebody wants to know when they're on a battery of appointments with your salespeople and you know how many times they asked it, and you know what the most important things are, you can feed that back into the top of the funnel sure. because those are your content prompts to build marketing. Now you can educate people on what they want to know when they come in. And if you're educating them and they show up educated already about the thing you do at the sales call, guess what? Your close percentage goes up. So it's very systematic. Yeah. That's what we've built. And we can bring that to any of these businesses. You know, the thing I, I have to use this, I didn't really want to talk necessarily about this particular example, but it just keeps banging me on the head as you're going through this. So I think some of the listeners might relate, whether they're an investor that is on a board of advisors for a company, they're part of an angel group that are working with their startups and they're getting to, you know, their low five figure or their low six figures, let's say they haven't really, and they're like, how do they get that repeatable piece of this? Mm -hmm. I'm working with a company that is, um, and I'm invested in it. So I'm doing the advice and stuff like that. And, and, um, I brought in a guy that was a sales exec that's built sales teams mm -hmm. that to help them figure out. Now they're starting out with a lot of way, a lot of software as a service company start out. There's a freemium model. Yeah. Then you convert to a, a pay per, you know, pay per month or a subscription model. And they even have a growth path to um, an enterprise solution where it's white labeled and behind the scenes and, mm -hmm. you know, all this kind of stuff. Right. And so, as we've been talking about this, and I've been talking to the guy who's the scientist behind all of this, trying to explain about the sales process and how you're going to identify, well, you're going to know their target market's going to be in the university system and things like that. You're going to know that they're a .edu. They're going to know these things. And if you set up a system mm -hmm. that's going to capture that stuff, you'll know you have X number of people within a group using it, and it makes sense to upgrade them to you know, besides the additional function of a premium versus a freemium, but you know, the site license and things like that, there's going to be data that targets that. But I, but in the back of my mind, I keep worrying that it's going to be so hard to develop that um, it, because we don't have those systems like what you just described on what is the frequently asked questions and right. you know, the, 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 the script, that the salespeople are going to use because we're going to be operating in a black hole trying to figure this stuff out as you're doing it. Whereas, you know, what you're talking about is really growth hacking within the whole process of generating the, the, the initial sales the when you start to convert, when <laughs> yeah. you start to, when you start to understand, you know, as you're coming out, we have a product coming out and you start to develop what is this going to make them convert into it and things like that. And working with the feature function benefits of what somebody's willing to pay for. And I'm thinking, golly, this would be such a more efficient way of going about that and eliminating, like in my mind as an investor, uh, my real fear that we'll miss milestones because we don't get it right. It takes us so long to get it right because we don't have that system. 
The we can talk about collecting way. all that data, but if you don't have enough sample size, you know, so you're still stuck in the, like you're stuck in the discovery and adoption loop there. So you're still going to have to make people aware of this thing, get them to show up, get them to spend time on it. I mean, I would say that you could do a good sales through training and implementation type of, of deal there. So you've got to get humans up there and helping them use that software. And um, potentially that's through a sales and demo process, maybe a customer success type of thing. Uh, I could imagine a, a webinar based training type of thing that's included or, hey, do you need a little extra help? And you know, when you're trying to sell enterprise, you probably want to have the, the human-based approach just because oh, yeah. you know, everybody thinks they're different, right? Every company wants to think they're unique and they have a unique use case. And we should facilitate that because if we're the person that helped them feel unique, even though on our side, they're really not like they're, you know, they're, yeah, they're all snowflakes, you know, but still <laughs> not, not in the political sense. I don't want to trigger anybody, but you know, like you're unique, but you're not. And here's how we have done this for a person just like you, a CEO, just like you. Uh, there's just a lot of human stuff there. So I don't believe that you can just capture data. Data would inform your sales process, you know, for sure. And so we'll never turn away data. Um, but yeah, that uh, hyper scientific approach that isn't just ugly sort of calls. I, I kind of wonder if that will pay off. So. Oh, no, I'm, I'm so, I think I might have uh, misspoke yeah. or misrepresented. <laughs> I meant, I meant that you, what you're doing when you're capturing the call mm -hmm. and you're capturing all of this information that yeah. is, you know, the trigger points, for, yep. you know, plus or minus that that you know and it informs the frequently asked questions it informs the sales process and the script it informs based on marketing the type of company that it is that mm -hmm. you're going to be talking to you know in this case is it a university or is it a research lab or is it you know something mm -hmm. else you kind of you'll start to know over time because of the fact that all of that stuff is documented in a in That's a right. systematized process it's not leaving it up to a sales rep after the call to go back and put notes somewhere into a CRM that never gets accumulated someplace else. That's usually the typical sales process. So a sales manager might look at it to see why they were struggling, but they're only as good as what information that the, the notes, the, yeah. this, yeah, that, that, that rep put in there, you know, and, um, and, you know, just, you know, I just, I see it as, um, you know, human, particularly people that like to sell. A lot of times the people that like to sell don't like a lot of detail. They and, don't like to take notes, I'll tell you that. I don't, yeah. I mean, I can, but um, in fact, we did used to do it that way where rep would take all the notes, sales lead, we call yeah. it a rep. But um, now what, what we're starting to do um, is we have enough folks that in the, in the ops side that we just, just record it upload it and then have it analyzed to, and this is very human. This is not some AI that's, you know, is transcribing or whatever. It's very human. Listen to the call again and capture all the objections and, and take the notes because you do need the notes in the CRM or you can't make a proposal. So right. it's quasi human automation, I guess. But the upshot is that you end up with that person who's able to take out those questions and put yeah. them into a tag database. And, and so it's, it's just, it's kind of like mechanical Turk, you know, for sales. Uh, and we just have that all built. So yeah. there's, there's no magic there. It's a lot of hours of people and we figured out how to do it efficiently. So, so that's sort of like, but that, so my, my, I guess my bottom line point was, is that when you're at that point, you've been a founder led yeah. sales team and you maybe you and your buddy, your partner, or you brought one other person in with the idea that that person might become a sales manager at some point in time. It's like you, the heavy lifting of figuring this out. Well, what system should we use? What will work right. for ours? What's the, how do we integrate that? How do we do all of that stuff that, that churns and takes away either from product development or other things can be outsourced. So That's that right. whole learning process is being layered on top of systems that already exist. And because you become part of the culture, the other obstacle I think some people have that are, are approach sales in a traditional way is that 
you know, the sales team, the, the corporate culture, it needs to be consistent to that, the, the, how the customer views you internally, externally, your vendors are all this corporate culture of how your sales and marketing integrate to be consistent. And, um, not only consistent in that there's no surprises, but also in the delivery of it. So mm-hmm. there's, um, but the way you're, and it sounds like what you do is really just do exactly that. You take the time to identify people within your organization that will fit that corporate culture and that, that sales cycle process and become extension of the team, uh, the company as if they were part of the whole team. You have to. Yeah. And you could build that yourself over time. Nobody's saying that you couldn't. I'm saying that it would cost you more and would take you longer. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 the same argument of every, you know, sort of outsource, right? It's like, we can be experts of the thing. It's already built. We can plug it into yours and build your version of it. And you keep that by the way. So like your CRM, your documentation systems, like your collateral, so what we're really doing is building a revenue program that is yours, the intellectual property of how you build and sell your thing. So then when you do hire your own people, they're not just left being like, oh, I guess I'll start over. How's it going to get out of founder's head and get written down and turned into actual processes that you can execute from an operations perspective? We do that and we sell, you know? So um, I think that's the main thing is that you need a program in place because once it leaves founders head, that's the first thing we have to do is figure out like, I, I will record and shadow 10 or 20 calls with the founder doing the sales. And we start the engine running on those because I, how else am I going to grok? You know, how are we going to sell this from the standpoint of being a founder? Well, it's come listening and processing that input. And uh, otherwise you can't get it out of their head. You know, and, and so every founder gets to that point, I'm overwhelmed, I guess I'll hire an SDR or I guess I'll hire, um, you know, a VP of sales. And what are you handing them? Yeah. <laughs> like, what, where are they going to start until you do a process like this? That's why it works. And you guys actually close the deal. It's not just queuing it up to, for somebody else. So as we start yeah. to wrap up here, discuss this idea of a chief revenue officer bottoms up versus tops down. Yeah. um, I became aware of the CRO title, I don't know, maybe five years ago. And I thought that was fascinating because I always thought that in the way I conceived of this was like, this is great because like a revenue function, it, it should be related to all the things we do and sell and the way we talk about it. So marketing and sales actually has to work together. I mean, that's beautiful, right? You know, and so marketing should make this broad brand awareness, you know, sort of ethos, right? But how do you know what that is unless you're talking to the customer? So sales talks to the actual customer. It's a one-to-one, like every single call is us making sure we give those messages and trying to get that one conversion. The average of all those together, if you categorize what they say, should inform the marketing. Because marketing is talking about ideal customer profile, like this mythical one perfect customer that ought to come in 10,000 times. Sales has to have 10,000 individual conversations that make that average. If we don't work together, you can imagine how like that can, comes completely unglued. So then you have salespeople are just like, hey, all I want to do is make the sale. I'll say anything to make the sale, which is it's really bad for the company because operations can't deliver it, finance is screwed up, you know, customized billing terms on every contract. I mean, disaster. And marketing ends up hating it too. If we can integrate those systems where money flows into the company, doesn't that make everybody a lot happier? So it should go up and down the funnel. The top of the funnel should be informed by what is happening on each call. And each call should be enhanced by what's coming down through the marketing system. So again, it's that holistic idea that because somebody taught us at some point that you separate sales and marketing, it's all screwed up now. Which do you yeah. need to be our order to be able to put that all together and, and work with ops and delivery and customer success and finance and all the things, but all the things are what make a successful business. It's execution. It's not the idea. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. So I uh, wonder if there's a Harvard study on uh, when marketing and sales got separated. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I'm sure it has something to do with our, you know, like, I mean, it goes back to like, you know, early Taylorism or something, you know, it <laughs> yeah. had to separate the the different lines and functions of a business. And uh, I mean, it makes sense. Like it helps us simplify and make sense of a system, but it's still the same system. Um, so that's where it breaks down is these are not clean lines, you know, between them. Who owns that? You know, well, I, I don't know. We all own it. Like, aren't we trying to get paid here? It was always a problem with IBM, the difference between always. And sales. It, when I was at there, it was always a battle internally about that. Sure. Because salespeople want to do what they want to do to get the deal done. And I don't care what market, don't give me that collateral. Let me, ch I'm changing the deck to make it what I want. So, cause I'm going to close the deal with my client. And, and you get it, right? Of course, because they're almost incentivized to break the rules. And then marketers say, no, 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 that's not our, that's not an approved piece of collateral. And just, well, yeah, but we're trying to make actual sales out here. Yeah. And it's like, any other you, system too, right? You know, what so. customers did you talk to about that before you decided to put that into the product or not put that into the product, right? It's like, have you talked to any customers? This is why yeah. I don't do big companies because I'd like to be close enough that we're still yeah. all in the same virtual room. And, yeah. and I, I completely love and resonate with our corporate um, enterprise marketing and sales folks. That is just not my world anymore. And, um, you know, God bless, but yeah, we're working on little tiny companies and we're happy about it. So. Yeah. I like working with little tiny companies yeah. too. So, all right, folks. Um, I did. I should have said this earlier. Thank you for continuing to listen. You need to learn more about Ledge and his company, Add One Zero. Here's the trick: it's A D D, the number one, and zero spelled out. Z E R O A D D one Z E R O dot C O, no M at the end, just like mine. Karen Rands dot C O. So uh, make sure that you do that. And if you want to connect on LinkedIn, it's uh, a book you. Well, you, do you go by Ledge on LinkedIn as well? Yeah, David Ledge, Ledgerwood. You should okay. be able to find me. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, I'm bald. So that should, that should narrow it down. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, so go, go connect up with Ledge and learn more about how his company can help your company or you're as an investor, help those companies that you're working on that might be able to get them going and doing the seven figures of revenue. Anything else you'd like to add, Ledge, before we wrap up? Oh, I know your audience and I would say I would love to talk to more investors who are struggling with this thing because I know from the angel groups that I have been involved with that literally every deck that you see talks about how we're going to grow sales. We're going to scale sales and marketing. And if it was my money being spent on that, I would want to have a little more conversation about what exactly that means, because it's the same thing as people spending money to, to build, build product. And uh, you know, some people are experts in building product. I think they're also experts in scaling sales and marketing. So um, I'd like to see more of those conversations, you know, so that, that you all make higher returns on your money and it doesn't get flushed down uh, the resume trail of, of VP of sales. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just really makes sense. You know, as the more I think about the idea of how, you know, people have migrate, have progressed over time, companies have on what they're willing to outsource, what they're willing to just assumed going to be systematized and let the let the 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 quarterback manage the pieces mm -hmm. the ceo of the company manage the pieces of where the team is going and things like that it just really it makes sense you know i mean there's definitely some situations where it doesn't make sense but when it comes to you know and and recognizing if you've got a break in the system which is you know lead gen right how do you yes. how do you factor in and what's the best way to create lead gen uh, and, and bringing that in, we've, cause I've, for a long time, there's been companies that would generate leads, right? Mm -hmm. They sell that all the time. And then you're supposedly getting qualified leads and your salespeople can, um, close them. But you know, the, here you have the potential for everything yeah. and your chief revenue officer gets to focus on 
what other products to bring into the market, making mm -hmm. sure that those messages are being integrated into the marketing messages, being able to look at variations of products to do other joint ventures that you can work on. They can focus their time and energy on things that compound the sales growth while the function of selling is outsourced. I couldn't have said it better myself. You're hired. Ah, great. <laughs> All right. Thank you, David. Thank you for being on the Compassionate Capitalist podcast and uh, really enjoyed your insight, sharing this with our audience today and onwards and upwards. Thanks, Karen. Thank you for listening to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast radio, where we encourage individual investment in entrepreneurs to create generational wealth and best practices for small businesses to succeed. Help us spread the word about compassionate capitalism by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. The Compassionate Capitalist podcast is available on most podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. In production for over 10 years, there are over 180 episodes available for your listening and educational pleasure. With over 130,000 downloads, this podcast is rapidly becoming the top podcast for investors and entrepreneurs to get the information they need to create generational wealth through entrepreneurism. This podcast is brought to you by the Business Power Tools, which offers an online collaborative environment for leadership teams to prepare business plans, marketing strategies, financial modeling needed to attract capital and scale a business. Also, Lindio as a Entrepreneurs Resource Portal, providing access to dozens of lenders, offering short-term and long-term debt to help business owners manage their financial cash flow and growth capital needs. BizX, creating affordable advertising resources and other tools for entrepreneurs to succeed and create awareness and trust with their customer base. And Launch Funding Network, part of Cougarand Capital Holdings. It's a network of hundreds of angel investors, investor clubs and networks, venture capital firms, private equity funds, family offices, investment bankers, and lenders. Please visit karenrands.co to learn more about the Launch Funding Network and our sponsors and to sign up to get our Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break and learn more about how we can help you succeed.